We've got a pretty short growing season out here in Alberta. In some parts of the province, you might get your last frost as late as June, and then you might get hit by your first frost as early as August. It's amazing the things that we could still grow out here though. One of the upsides of a changing climate is it will probably extend the growing season. But what if you could extend the growing season on your own farm? There's a vegetable producer in Olds, Alberta who's done just that. And in my opinion, he is one of Alberta's best new farmer success stories. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're revisiting the Passive Solar Greenhouse. So, uh, hi everyone. My name is Chen Yidong. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, <clears throat> I'm a vegetable grower at Oz, and I build a Chinese-style passive solar greenhouse. Uh, today, I'm very happy to show you how it looks and how it works for me. In 2014, a geologist from the city of Tingshan in China got a job with an oil and gas company in Alberta. The name of that geologist is Gianni Dang. As a lot of people in Alberta know, 2014, 2015, those are the years that oil prices crashed. So Gianni was looking for other options shortly after arriving here. Even though Gianni had never set foot on a farm in his life, agriculture caught his eye, specifically passive solar greenhouse growing. If you don't see this picture, you may not believe that there are so many passive solar greenhouses in China, millions of them uh, in North China. You know, North China, sometimes it gets minus 10 degrees to minus 30 degrees. So the climate is uh, similar to Alberta. Uh, but uh, I see a big difference. In China, I see uh, passive solar greenhouses everywhere. But in Alberta, I don't see so many, especially the... Uh, commercial size. So these red buildings are the villages and in between is all passive solar greenhouses. So it's millions, millions of them. Um, I used to be a geologist, but why I ended up to be a vegetable grower uh, is because of this difference. So I think there might be an opportunity uh, to build such a greenhouse. In 2017, Gianni and his wife bought a farm in Olds, Alberta, so central Alberta, and then they got to work on what has to be Alberta's biggest passive solar greenhouse. Two years later, in 2019, Gianni and his passive solar greenhouse first landed on our radar, so Rural Roots to Climate Solutions. This was all thanks to a mutual friend and sundry agriculture producer, Megan Vesey. Gianni's passive solar greenhouse is just something to behold. If you go to our farmer's blog or our YouTube channel, you can see some photos of the greenhouse. And those photos of the inside of the greenhouse, it just looks like a sea of tomato plants on the inside. Gianni specializes in tomatoes. And if you haven't figured it out already, the parts of this episode where Gianni's talking, they've been taken from a webinar that Gianni did with us in the fall of 2020. So this is the south side, it's the front side, and it's covered by a poly uh, a plastic. And you can see a window in, on the bottom, and there's another window on the top. And this row 
is a uh, uh, insulated blankets, which is rolled up and down by a electric motor. And this is a look inside. This is the south side. And so the passive solar greenhouse in North China always face south to receive uh, maximum sunlight. And uh, we always see a back wall, uh, which is uh, usually made of a berm of clay. So uh, you can see there's a berm. The berm can be very huge, 10 meters tall and 10 meters thick. So it, it can absorb a lot of heat. And uh, so that makes the, the wall a heat pool. And the wall can be also made of brick and concrete, which makes it look uh, more beautiful. And the insulated blankets will be lowered all the way to the bottom during the night to trap the heat inside the greenhouse. And this is me working in such a, a, a greenhouse in China. Uh, this place is uh, has a similar weather. So in winter, it's also minus 20 degrees. But the farmer there can grow uh, tomatoes uh, in, in the winter time without any artificial heating source. So the only heat source is sunlight. Um, is, there are so many such farmers in China. They, uh, each family probably owns only one acre land or less than one acre. So how they um, make a living, they just build such a greenhouse, uh, one or two on their land. And this only one or two greenhouse can support their whole family. If you're not familiar with the concept of a passive solar greenhouse, the main idea is the greenhouse doesn't require electricity or natural gas for heating. The only heat input, if you want to call it that, it's heat from the sun. Now that heat from the sun needs to be stored in the greenhouse somehow, and that's where the thermal mass comes in. So the thermal mass will absorb the heat from the sun during the day, then as things start cooling off at night, the thermal mass will then release that heat, doing the best job it can to prevent the greenhouse from freezing. Gianni uses clay for his thermal mass. So what he's done is he's built a clay wall on the north side of his greenhouse, goes up about 15 to 20 feet. On the south side, running from the top of that north wall, going down and out about 32 feet, is a double layer poly wall the length of the greenhouse is about 330 feet. Insulation is usually a handy thing to have with a passive solar greenhouse, but in Johnny's case, he's really not using much insulation these days, aside from insulated blankets, which he'll talk about a little bit later. The mind-blowing thing about Gianni's greenhouse is it doesn't have a heating bill in the winter. I'm gonna say that one more time. A greenhouse in Alberta does not have a heating bill in the winter. Sounds too good to be true, right? Keep on listening. So this is how it works for the Chinese style passive solar greenhouse. And this is the most part of North China. So we put another layer or a bigger greenhouse outside the passive solar greenhouse. Uh, that's because here we have too much uh, snow. So we make it taller and this angle bigger so most of the snow will just fall and um, winter. So their insulated blankets won't get wet. 
But here, um, that we have too much snow. Uh, if, we, if we don't have this layer, the insulated blankets may get wet, and then we will have trouble rolling it up and down. And there's a sketch showing you uh, the design of my uh, greenhouse. So the bottom is about 10 meters and half, 10 and a half meters uh, wide, and the maximum height is six meters. And uh, this is the outer layer. The inner layer, the maximum height is four meters. And this is the back wall. It's made of uh, steel pipes too. Steel pipes plus um, uh, metal sheeting. And inside is filled with clay. Uh, and it's um, 100 meters long. So it's 1,000 square meters or 10,000 square feet. Uh, this is the insulated blankets. Is, uh, there's a, a electric motor rolling it up and down. And this is a window on the top. It's controlled by an electric motor too. And there's um, another motor to roll up uh, the polyfilm. And inside, there's another motor roll up. So there's a venting here. And uh, you can also vent through here and this window. And in winter time, we have a very cool machine. This is a snow vibrator. So when uh, it accumulates, it accumulates uh, snow on top. Uh, so the snow cannot accumulate on this part because the angle is very high and it slides down. But here is still, there's still some snow. So we turn on the vibrator and the snow will automatically fall down. So we don't need to burn anything to melt the snow. Uh, it's very energy efficient. This is how it actually looks. This is the south side, the front side, and the, this is the north side. So this is the back wall uh, covered by insulated blankets. And this is uh, looking from inside. And this back wall, this is the uh, metal sheeting. Behind that is all clay and it's four meters tall. And the greenhouse is, I would say is a commercial size. So it's pretty big. I can drive my little tractor inside to do the rototilling to spread the uh, compost. And this is the look between two layers. This is the outer layer polyfilm, and this is the insulated blankets. And when it's rolled down, and uh, you can see a window. The window is controlled by a motor. And this is the snow vibrator. And the 100 meter long insulated blankets is rolled up and down by a small, small uh, electric motor. It's a three horsepower. And this um, insulated blankets is probably three tons, weighs three tons. But this small motor can do the uh, the job. And actually there's new types of uh, insulated blankets. It's much, much lighter and uh, it's more warm, it's warmer. This is a video showing you uh, how it looks when I'm opening the insulated blankets. So the whole blanket is opened at the same time by the electric motor. And when I lower it, it's totally blacked out. So the whole thing is rolled up at the same time 
it takes about eight minutes to go to the top. The video that Johnny's talking about right there, it's quite cool. I recommend checking it out. I'll try and describe it as best as I can here because it is very um, Space Odyssey 2001-ish. So it's pitch black at first, and then a sliver of sunlight comes through, and that just keeps pouring in, so more and more sunlight as the insulated blankets are rolled up. Looks a lot like somebody rolling up a really big carpet. It might be worth mentioning at this point, if you're on a bit of a budget, you don't necessarily have to use insulated blankets for a passive solar greenhouse. Don't misunderstand me here. You'll lose a method for trapping heat if you don't. But I have seen passive solar greenhouses without insulated blankets. For example, if you listen to episode 14 with Daniel Chappelle of Olds College, the very first passive solar greenhouse episode Rural Roots has ever done, he talks about the passive solar greenhouse he designed in Bowdoin, and that one didn't have insulated blankets. In a passive solar greenhouse like that, you're probably not going to be able to grow tomatoes in October or November, and it might be a bit smaller than something like what Gianni has. Gianni talks about the thickness and the R value of the insulated blankets later on in this episode. The first half of this episode is mainly Gianni giving us an overview of his greenhouse. In the second half of the episode, he gets into specifics. And that's largely thanks to all the great questions we receive from folks from across Canada who are interested in Gianni's Paso Solar Greenhouse. We actually had to do a second webinar with Gianni in the winter of 2021. What can I say? He's a pretty popular guy. So this uh, uh, red uh, curve is the temperature inside the greenhouse. The blue curve is the air temperature. Uh, so. In October, you can see the minimum air temperature is close to minus 20, right? And uh, we, what we pay attention to is the maximum temperature in the greenhouse, which we, which are kept uh, below 30, uh, because we can open the window, open or close the window to regulate the temperature inside the greenhouse. And more importantly, is the minimum temperature during the night. So this one cycle is a day, and we see a maximum and a minimum. So before the end of October, it was kept about 10 degrees. Uh, it was like perfect for me. The tomatoes and cucumbers were doing really well. Uh, in uh, late October, it started to cool down. The outside temperature dropped down to minus 20, but it was just two days. So uh, the minimum temperature during the night in the greenhouse dropped down to five, but it was not too bad. And it bounced back to about 10 degrees. In November, the temperature was still not too bad. Uh, so the, for a couple of days, we can see uh, the minimum dropped down to five or even a little lower when it was extremely cold, minus 25. Uh, but uh, most of the time it's around 10. It was not too bad. But coming into December, uh, it become too cold and too dark because our sunlight, we, we don't have much sunlight, only 
for the greenhouse, we only have four to five hour effective sunlight. And uh, there's too much cloud cover. For example, there's uh, one week continuously cloudy and snowy. And so the temperature dropped down to close to zero. But compared to uh, the temperature outside, minus 20, minus 15, uh, is still not too bad. And there was no frost in the greenhouse. Yeah, but in January, the temperature dropped down to, uh, there was a, a day dropped down to minus 38, almost minus 40. So the temperature in the greenhouse dropped down to zero, uh, even a little bit lower than zero. So this is how it was performing last year. Uh, let's see some, some pictures of the plants in the greenhouse. This picture was taken in the end of October. So you can see that tomatoes were still vigorous. The leaves are really green and uh, the tom tomatoes are, are, were still ripening fast. And this is uh, almost end of uh, December, or uh, just before uh, Christmas. So it was pretty cold and was uh, too wet. The wind is very cold. Uh, the relative uh, humidity comes up. So we had to prune most of the leaves. And uh, you can see there's still a lot of tomatoes because uh, we don't have, mm, or the cost is, is relatively, is really low for me because I don't, I'm not burning anything. So I'm still keeping them and I can still harvest some uh, uh, tomatoes in December. Uh, this is the, how the cucumbers doing in late uh, October. This, uh, this is the sweet mini cucumbers. They're still doing good. And there's the big cucumbers. They were also doing good. And the peppers, the bell peppers, and the sm small hot peppers. The small hot peppers turned red in December. They need a long time to turn red. And these are the pole beans. So in late October, they are still blossoming and fruiting. And in December, December 15th, we can still pick some uh, beans. Again, you got to check out this video. The, the photos are amazing. Just mind-blowing to see those red hot peppers in December. After looking at the video, the webinar, those photos, I have to say the one plant that seemed to be thriving really well in Gianni's uh, October and December veggie crop, as hard as that is to believe, uh, were the cucumbers. But surprisingly, and I realize this episode is full of surprises, Gianni still had something to harvest in January before things got really cold out here. He's going to talk about that in a second. One thing I wanted to point out is I really liked what Gianni said that the fact that his input costs are so low, he can get away with farming all the way into January. Just uh, it's a couple of days before the extreme cold came, uh, minus 38 degree, just before that. So they were not uh, frozen, they were still ripening. And I can still pick some uh, tomatoes every week. But uh, for a commercial greenhouse, it doesn't make so much sense to grow tomatoes 
in December because not only it's too cold, but also too dark. So I pulled most of the tomatoes and cucumbers out, and then I replaced them with uh, uh, greens, beefy veggies. So under this uh, plastic is the greens, like dillweed. Is a, they were sold in December and they germinate in early January. And this uh, this is uh, reddish. They were sold in late October. They they are they were slower, but uh, they were still growing January. And brown daisy in January they're pretty tall. I, I can cut them at that time. And uh, some garlic sprouts. We cover them with a black plastic to block any sunlight, and so they turn yellow, and it's very tender. And they are very hardy, so uh, I harvest them in January. This is how my greenhouse look uh, right now, this year. So it's mostly tomatoes and cucumbers. Now I, I just transplanted some small plants of uh, cucumbers. It was pobeans here. And now I pull them out and replace them with cucumbers. And now I have some mini cucumbers too, a very sweet variety. And uh, about two thirds of the greenhouse was used to grow tomatoes. So I have a cherry tomatoes and beefsteak tomatoes. But this picture shows you the beefsteak. This, uh, this is a wire used to hang the plants uh, is two meters tall but the the vines are way more than two meters so if we zoom in you can see for example this vine is pretty long so we had to lower them but this year i didn't uh, use the correct tool so i'm always behind the schedule lowering the tool lowering the uh, the plants but uh, you can see this wine is uh, more than five meters and uh, 12 trusses of were already picked and two trusses are red. And before say I can keep them at the end of uh, November, there are still two or three trusses can be picked. So totally maybe 15 or 16 trusses can be harvested this year. So I'm pretty happy about this result because um, I'm a new farmer. Uh, there's still a long learning curve for me and I'm always behind the schedule, pruning the leaves and, uh, and the suckers, but still they are doing great this year. So I'm pretty happy with this result. And I have started my seedlings. Most of them are uh, cabbages and cauliflowers and some Chinese variety uh, vegetables. So when I pull out the tomatoes, I will replace them with these leafy veggies. So that way I can uh, grow tomatoes, uh, grow vegetables year round. So they will be cut in February, late February, before I transplant uh, tomatoes next year. So according to the performance uh, of during the last year, I made a, a growing plan for next year. 
So next year I will start tomato seedlings uh, really early in early January. This year uh, I had a lot of trouble. Uh, I only transplanted my tomatoes in April, early April. But next year I will try to transplant it uh, in early March, a month earlier. So uh, in, uh, in, in March this year, uh, the outside temperature dropped down to minus three, but it was just for one or two days. And uh, the temperature inside the greenhouse dropped down to five minimum. So it was still uh, pretty safe for my uh, tomatoes. So next year, it makes me uh, be able to transplant it much earlier. So we, we will see better results next year. And before I transplant them, I will cut the cauliflowers and cabbages, the leafy veggies. And then uh, I will start to pick tomatoes in early June and all the way until late November, early December. Uh, where, uh, when uh, I can replace them with new leafy veggies. So in that way, we can grow year round. And I have some tentative conclusions. Uh, I don't need to read this, I think. Uh, I just want to say that uh, Chinese style passive solar greenhouse is pretty cost effective and uh, environmentally friendly. And uh, uh, giving correct uh, varieties, we can grow year round in Alberta. Uh, so let's let our greenhouse go real green. And that's all for my presentation. Thank you very much. I love that sales pitch right there. Make our greenhouses really green. All right, we're going to dive even further down the passive solar greenhouse rabbit hole. Coming up next is a Q&A with Gianni. Like I said, we received questions from across the country, people asking Gianni about his greenhouse. The person asking the questions in this part of the episode is Marie Galanka. So I think I'm ready to start with the questions. Are you ready, Gianni? Yes, yes. Thank you, Marie. You're welcome. Yeah. Marie is the so regional coordinator for Rural Roots to Climate Solutions in northern Alberta. She grew up on a mixed cattle grain farm in Athabasca, and she still lives up in Athabasca with her family right now. You might recognize Marie's voice from the Coordinator's bonus podcast episode we did at the end of 2020. Since we were receiving so many emails, I'm talking about every day we'd be getting emails from people who wanted to be connected with Gianni. And since Gianni's such a great guy and he always wants to share his knowledge, Marie organized a second webinar with Gianni in the winter of 2021. We don't usually do back-to-back -back webinars with the same speaker like that. But like I said, Johnny's a pretty popular guy. Uh, so your greenhouse uses just passive solar energy that's captured from the sun to heat, um, to heat the greenhouse itself. Have you explored geothermal energy or other heating methods for your greenhouse? The answer is no. Uh, I know uh, a lot of people are very interested in this uh, geothermal idea 
it's a good technology, but for my greenhouse, it's uh, pretty big. Uh, the greenhouse area is uh, 10,000 square feet, 1,000 square meters. It's a pretty big greenhouse. If I, you know, uh, dig uh, five feet deep and bury pipes, it's a pretty much cost for me. So that's one concern. Uh, more importantly, the second concern is the water table. Because we have to dig um, in, in uh, springtime uh, when the snow melts, there's a lot of water in my farm and the water table is pretty high and it making me trouble. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think if we really want to play with the geothermal, we have a way with this kind of greenhouse. We can play it with it with the inside the clay wall. So my wall, my back wall is made of clay. So if we bury the pipes into the clay, we don't have a water table problem and we don't have the dick. So the cost will be very low. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in the future, uh, depends on my budget. Uh, if uh, the budget is enough, uh, I'd like to try this idea. Oh, I believe you can uh, give me a couple of degrees higher in winter. Yeah, that sounds like yeah. a good idea. Uh, what about LED lights? Do you use those at all in your greenhouse? And I'm not using the LED because they are, again, they are very expensive. Uh, yeah, for such a greenhouse, it's like thousands of LED lights you, you, you need to use. Uh, those lights are very expensive and uh, the utility bills will be very high. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so. Uh, I don't really depend on the winter crops. So my main revenue comes from the tomatoes in summer and, and fall. Uh, so I like to keep uh, keep it as natural as possible. I don't give it uh, artificial heating or lighting. Okay. So question number two. Um, there are a lot of greenhouse designs out there that recommend using water as a thermal mass to keep the temperatures higher overnight. Could you use water as a thermal mass instead of your clay wall? And why did you choose clay for your wall? Yeah, water is a, is a good material. Water is free. It holds a lot of heat. It holds more heat than clay. That's a very good idea. But the problem is you need barrels. You need maybe thousands of barrels because my wall is uh, 100 meters long and four meters tall. And we, we need a um, couple of hundred barrels. Uh, that's also uh, uh, cost, yeah. a lot of cost. And uh, you cannot stack them too high. Otherwise, you have, uh, it's dangerous, right? You have safety issue. And in the long run, they may leak because the water is, is a liquid, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I choose uh, clay. Clay, first of all, is, is free. Yeah, we have clay anywhere. So I take my clay from my dugout mm -hmm. and I can, uh, because I use the, uh, the tubings and the metal sheetings to hold the clay. So I can build a four meter tall wall. Uh, it's pretty tall. And, and uh, the clay, because it's uh, thick, it's one meter thick, it's also uh, insulation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a good insulator and the clay is a pretty 
uh, stable and uh, it's pretty heavy. So it stabilized the whole greenhouse. No matter how strong the wind is, especially the north wind, it's very strong here. Uh, it doesn't do any damage to my greenhouse. So there's a lot of benefits using clay. Yeah, but of course, um, the clay is not the best material in terms of holding heat. Uh, if, uh, if we can use uh, dry sand and uh, uh, pep, uh, gravel, sand and gravel, it's probably better material, but it's not free. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there's a bit of a, a bit of a cost consideration there. Right. All right. So you're currently. This is question number three now. Um, yeah. You're currently in the process of building your second passive solar greenhouse on your property. Um, yeah. What will you do differently when you build this new greenhouse? Right. Uh, so first of all, my my insulated blankets is not the best one. Uh, unfortunately. The uh, the manufacturer did little trick for me. <laughs> yeah, it's very unfortunate, but it's true. I paid for the the best uh, material, a lot of uh, very expensive material, but I get uh, not the best one. Uh, so these um, insulated blankets is pretty heavy, uh, but it's not thick enough. The latest generation would be very thick and light, very warm. So, uh, for, well, the second greenhouse, I, I, I already bought all the material, including the, uh, the insulated blankets. But in the future, if I build the third one, the fourth one, I would definitely use better insulated blankets that will give me at least two degrees higher in, in the coldest days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when it's warmer than in the warmer days, the, the performance will be much, much better. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's one thing. And then the other uh, idea is uh, the ge geothermal with the back wall. Yeah. 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 Like so, yeah, because um, uh, we have two layers of uh, uh, polyfilms. So, between these two layers, because it's very tall, between these two layers, uh, uh, a lot of heat is trapped in there. Uh, so at the, about um, two meters tall, the temperature, let's say, it reads about 20 degrees, mm -hmm. but up on the top is 40 degrees. Mm -hmm. So if we can extract that heat and use it for uh, warming the wall, the back wall, it's a good, really good idea. Yeah. yeah. But depends on my budget. I might try that idea in the future. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So fourth question. This is a question, okay, that I think has come up at every single event that I've hosted with you, um, Gianni. It's a very popular question. Mm. Could you also keep chickens in your passive solar greenhouse? And would they act as a significant heat source to help heat your greenhouse? Yeah, I try to keep the chickens in my greenhouse, but not because I want the heat from them. It's because I don't have a good uh, chicken coop in the winter. So I use it. The greenhouse as a shelter for the chickens. I put uh, 100 chickens in the greenhouse, but it's the heat generated from them is not significant. I cannot feel the heat at all. Yeah. So it's just because this greenhouse is too big. 100 chickens is like uh, nothing compared to the size of the greenhouse. Yeah. And uh, they 
they make a lot of uh, uh, dust. Yeah. They make dusty. So I don't suggest the people to keep ch uh, chickens in the greenhouse. And first of all, because it's not really effective heating and um, it, it make, they make a mess and, and uh, they bring uh, bacteria to the greenhouse. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that consideration for sure. I can right. attest to how messy chickens are. They are yeah. very, very messy. <laughs> yeah, I had to clean uh, the wall and the uh, poly, and yes. they caused a lot of headache to me. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So question five of uh, the passive solar greenhouse design. It definitely goes beyond just extending your season, your growing season. Uh, so can you grow fruit trees inside the greenhouse that wouldn't typically do well in your growing zone? Yes, uh, absolutely. A lot of people are interested in growing fruit trees in the greenhouse. I'm not growing because uh, I'm like a professional uh, vegetable grower. So I grow uh, tomatoes because I need uh, uh, this is a business, right? I, I, I'm making a profit out of it. But if you like to grow uh, fruit trees, these greenhouses are perfect for the fruit trees. So uh, let me tell you um, what people are doing in China with such a greenhouses. And because there are so many millions of such uh, passive solar greenhouses in China, and um, we, they already have too much vegetables. So they are trying to grow fruit trees in these greenhouses. And the most popular fruit tree is the cherry, cherry trees, the big cherries. And they can pick cherries in January or February. Wow. So this is how wow. they, yeah. If I don't tell you the story, you may not believe it. Yeah. But this is how they play with it. In, in late uh, August or September, they put a uh, AC system in the greenhouse and to cool down the whole greenhouse. Because the greenhouse is insulated very well, they roll, out, roll down the insulated blankets. So it's like a freezer, in a cooler in, in the whole greenhouse. So they bring the temperature down to about five degrees Celsius. And that way they put uh, the cherry trees into uh, hibernation. Okay. And after a month and a half, about 40 days, 50 days, and then uh, roll up the insulated blankets and let the sun warm the greenhouse again. And that way they break the hibernation and the trees start to uh, sprout and whatever, right? And, and that way they can start to pick uh, cherries in the spring festival. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and cool. the, the price is like crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, at least uh, $20 a pound. Yeah. And some some retail price are like uh, $80 a pound. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, so Yeah. Well, and some other people, they play with um, a dragon fruit. Mm -hmm. For dragon fruit, you don't cool them, but you maybe they give them a little heat. So they can also uh, pick dragon fruit in the winter time, January or February. Yeah, and yeah. they are extremely um, sweet, extremely popular. 
Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So with this uh, kind of a greenhouse, you can get really uh, creative and play with your ideas. Yeah. Play yeah. With, yeah. Play with your seasons almost a little bit in there. Yeah. Okay. So question. <laughs> Uh, something that surprises a lot of people about your greenhouse um, is that it doesn't have any fans. Yeah. So how do you vent your greenhouse and how do you control the humidity without fans? Yeah. Uh, so I open up the top window and I can roll up the polyfilms on the bottom. Okay. And because it's open on the top and the bottom, so it creates a natural airflow from the bottom to the top. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because in the summertime when it's very hot, the hot air will go up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, usually that's uh, that's enough for most of the season. But in summertime when it's really hot, I pull up a shading cloth to cool down the temperature a little bit. Um, and uh, so the from spring, uh, summer, and uh, early fall, I don't have a humidity problem at all because it's uh, pretty dry in the greenhouse and we have a very good sunlight. But in winter time, uh, the humidity start to uh, increase, mm -hmm. increase to a very high level. And then I start to have a uh, disease. And so my solution is put an end to the tomatoes at the end of October, even though I can keep them all the way until January, if mm -hmm. I like for, um, a professional grower you don't like to do that because in november and december is uh, too wet so they get disease mm -hmm. and so my solution is to pull them out and replace them with uh, leafy veggies the leafy veggies are pretty small so they don't evaporate too much water into the air so it's a uh, it's a dry in the greenhouse and there will be no problem okay yeah so question seven because you don't use fans, does the passive solar greenhouse get too hot in the summer? It, it, at all this at our location, we only have about two weeks hot days <laughs> when it's above my uh, about thirty degrees Celsius. Uh, except that's two weeks, and mostly it's cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, so, like I said just now, I can pull up a shading cloth. And I open all the windows, and usually that's just enough. But maybe for two weeks and it's extremely hot, so I missed. I have the overhead misting system, so I, I missed just for for uh, two or three times a day mm -hmm. for two weeks. And that's enough. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So question eight: um, Your greenhouse design uses a double wall um, with polyfilm. What thickness of polyfilm do you use? Uh, usually, for most of the growers, they use uh, six mil. Uh, my, uh, again, uh, the manufacturer did a little trick. They, they tried to cut the cost, so they gave me 4.8 mil. Mm -hmm. 4 mil uh, it's, uh, I think it works. It's not too bad. Uh, last year, there was five times pretty bad hail. And it didn't do damage on the poly. Uh, but of course, in the future, when I uh, change the poly, I'd like to use a six mil. Mm -hmm. yeah, so six mil will last longer and problem free. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then um, how thick is your insulated blanket? And what's the R value on the insulation blanket? Okay, the insulated blanket is like one inch thick. Mm -hmm. uh, the latest generation insulated blankets would be like uh, two inch thick. When it's not under any stress, mm -hmm. it's two inch. But when you compress it, it's like one inch or uh, less than one inch. So they're very light, uh, very warm. And, and because the insulated blankets is made of uh, polyester fabric, mm -hmm. so my insulated blankets like R3, and mm -hmm. the latest generation uh, insulated blankets will be like R5, R6. Oh, okay. Okay. So question nine, where did you source your material and um, equipment to build your greenhouse? Yeah, I, I sourced uh, everything from China, but as a kit. Yeah. So yeah, every material and parts, in, including the insulated blankets and the polish and the trusses, they mm -hmm. come together as a kit in a shipping container. Yeah. And mm -hmm. yeah. And then and, how, how much did it cost for everything for your greenhouse for all of that material? Right. Uh, it cost me for. Uh, a hundred thousand dollars Canadian dollars mm -hmm. uh, including all the, the material the parts the tax custom tax and GST and uh, and uh, the shipping cost mm -hmm. to to my farm okay and so yeah. that was a hundred thousand dollars Canadian and can you just remind us the size of your greenhouse so we can uh, put that into context right uh, so the length is 100 meters, about three, three, 330 feet. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the width is uh, 10 and a half meters. Okay. Yeah. And the highest point is six meters tall. Okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> did you assemble your greenhouse yourself or did you have help? I, I did it with my wife. So mm -hmm. I weld everything uh, with, with the help of my wife. Yeah. Yeah. It took us about a year. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I had, uh, I don't have uh, a fancy machines and equipments, so I build some tools by myself. Yeah. But I, I did. It's not easy, but I did it. Yeah, that's great. That's like, um, that's like putting together an IKEA bookshelf times a thousand. <laughs> that's really great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, okay. So, question ten, last question. How long did it take you to make that investment back? Okay, uh, we can make a calculation. So for me, I grow tomatoes and beefsteak tomatoes in the greenhouse. Uh, last year, I grew like two two thousand tomato uh, two thousand plants because last year was uh, there was um, different varieties: beefsteak, cherry, and cucumbers, beans, peppers. But this year will be uh, beefsteak only. So this year I reduced the number of plants to 1,800. Mm -hmm. uh, and according to last year's data, one plant can give you about 20 pounds. And But remember, this is a, a soil grown. If you use a hydroponic, you give them uh, artificial heating, lighting, and uh, carbon dioxide, then they grow like crazy and they give you three times more tomatoes so one plant maybe 60 pounds yeah, maybe even yeah. more for me it's uh, 20 pounds uh, and times uh, 1800 
that would be thirty six thousand pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then times your price. I do retail, and I sell at the three fifty per pound. Yeah, you know, as a as a start at the beginning because I'm a new farmer. Uh, people they don't really know me, right? So yeah. I don't sell like a really high price. But you should be able to get five dollars per pound mm-hmm. at the farmers market. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, thirty six thousand times. Thirty-three point five or five, yeah. five dollars a pound. Yeah, that's uh, what we get as a revenue. Uh, and because right now I I do it myself, uh, I don't I don't need to pay for the labor. Right? Uh, so the profit is like uh, uh, eighty eighty thousand. Yeah, yeah, roughly. Yeah. yeah. So. For a professional grower, you should be able to make the investment back in about two years. In about two years. Yeah, in about two years. That's a pretty good return on your investment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and uh, the lifespan of this uh, kind of greenhouse, because it's old steel, the lifespan should be longer than 30 years. Okay. Yeah. So it's a good investment. So here's a question in the chat box, Jani. How do pollinators yeah. get into your greenhouse to help with pollination? Yeah. Uh, the pollinators do not get into my greenhouse uh, because I have a screen uh, outside my green, uh, greenhouse to block all the pests. But so uh, last year we tried to use the handheld vibrator to mm-hmm. pollinate, but later we found is it's not really necessary because we work with the plants every day. We prune the the leaves, the suckers. And we train them to the trellis and we lower them because they grow taller and taller. They eventually they will grow taller than five meters. So we, we have to lower them and we pick the tomatoes. All that work we do, uh, we shake the, the plants. Yeah. And that's enough for the pollination because my greenhouse is always pretty dry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when it's, it's pretty dry, you shake it a little bit and it's pollinated. Okay, so yeah. you're thinking that just just the normal everyday work that you're doing in and around the plants is enough to pollinate them. Right. Yeah. Is it possible to purchase the plants um, of your greenhouse either from you or directly from the manufacturer? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, I think um, we can uh, we can exchange our emails. And yeah, I can, uh, I can send people my, the plans or whatever the help I can do. Uh, but, uh, so from the last, uh, uh, supplier, I had the issues with the quality, the, the insulated blankets. Mm-hmm. So I, I found a, a better supplier and, uh, I'm working with them to upgrade the design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but it takes about a month or two. Uh, yeah. After we finish that, uh, I can provide people with more information. So what would be the minimum size that you could build a passive solar greenhouse? Um, like, would it be cost effective to build just a hundred meter square greenhouse? It's not, I, I wouldn't say it's cost effective, but uh, it's pretty, pretty uh, efficient if we build it larger enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the maximum length I would suggest is 80 meters. Because for my 1,000 meters, it works, but I get into trouble from time to time with the rolling systems because there are so many rolling systems 
and we roll the insulated blankets and we roll the uh, the polyfilm outside and the inside. Uh, 100 meters is a little bit too long for those motors and the rods and, and it's too heavy. But 80 meters, we won't have any problem. And um, because it's long enough, so we can grow uh, so many plants in the greenhouse at the same time, and it's easy to manage them. Uh, I would say the minimum length is better to be maybe 100 feet, 30 meters. Uh, if you go shorter than that, because the uh, greenhouse is pretty tall, it's so six meters tall or like 20 feet tall. Uh, if if uh, it's very short, uh, it may be not really stable in front of the, the big wind. So here's another question um, about supplying the materials for the greenhouse. So um, in order to reduce the overall cost, um, that happens with shipping and, and import fees. Um, is there is there a local supplier here in Canada that could provide people with these with these uh, passive solar greenhouse kits like the one that you have? Uh, right now, there is not. Unfortunately, um, I think I'm probably the first one building such a greenhouse. But I I hope um, because so many people are very interested and. Uh, we can, whoever uh, can start a business uh, to make such a greenhouse and be a supplier here uh, in the future, right? but not now. We had a bit of an audio issue at this point. So the question that Gianni's about to answer is, what is the foundation of his greenhouse made out of? This is also the part of the episode where Gianni explains how thick that insulated blanket is that he uses for his greenhouse? Uh, I don't have a foundation actually. Uh, to make a concrete foundation, it costs a lot, right? So we have a base. We just use a, a steel angle as a base and we weld uh, anchors on top of the steel angle and we install the, uh, the trusses, the, the steel uh, trusses on top of the uh, the anchors and we bolt them and, and that's it. Uh, but uh, if you want to insulate the soil, uh, so for, for example, I dig uh, four feet deep and I put uh, a foam, just one inch foam, that's enough. Uh, I lower it into the trench. Uh, in that, uh, just uh, three, uh, three, three sides, east, west, and the south, because on, on the back, on the north, there's the, a thick wall. I don't need to insulate that uh, uh, side. Uh, so three sides of insulation uh, below the soil is enough. Uh, if you don't really uh, want to grow, uh, for example, the fruit vegetables in, in winter, I think we can skip that uh, insulation because um, digging into the soil, we have problems because uh, you will contaminate our soil because we bring the clay up uh, and mix it with the soil and we have a problem, right? Uh, so if you don't really, like me, if you don't, you don't really depend on the winter crops, uh, we don't need to do the insulation. Uh, we use the plastic mulch to cover the edges, the corners to surpass the weed. I have uh, one trench uh, in front of the greenhouse uh, because in 
in uh, summertime when it uh, rains pretty bad, uh, because uh, the greenhouse is like uh, 10 meters uh, wide. So there's a lot of water coming uh, from the greenhouse and to the front, to the front of the greenhouse. Uh, I don't want the water to accumulate there. So I put a trench in the front. But uh, I, I put the trench about two meters away because for these two meters, I need a tractor to, to go in there. Uh, in the winter time to blow the snow. Yeah, there, there will be like two meter high snow in front of the greenhouse in the winter. So I would, I have to use my tractor to blow the snow. And then here's a question. Um, do you have issues with, with rodents inside the greenhouse? Oh yeah, rod- uh, sorry, sorry, which one is uh, rodents? Rodents like mice and all oh, the mice, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. That's a very good question. Uh, because in winter, especially in winter, uh, outside is very cold, and inside the greenhouse is uh, pretty warm. And my neighbors are all like uh, wheat growers, so in their field there's so many mice, and the warm greenhouse attracts mice in the greenhouse. Uh, yeah, so we we need to find a way to control them, right? Uh, and I just find it's very difficult to control them. I have to be honest, then. but I just find a, a way that I, I want to try. And there's um, essential oil. I think it's called uh, peppermint. The, that can repel the the mice. Uh, mice doesn't like the that smell so i'd like to try it uh i've i uh, i watched the youtube it this is the it's probably the only way that may works for a, a commercial grower <laughs> yeah because a trap doesn't work trap is uh, too small yeah and you have such a big space you'd need a lot of traps i imagine yeah. to catch all yeah. those i've yeah. heard that about peppermint as well uh yeah. So yeah, it's worth a try. It'll be interesting to see yeah. how it works. I've also heard it works well for keeping um, like flies away from the chicken coop if you plant peppermint around chicken coops. So. Oh, nice. There might be something to that idea. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, somebody in the chat box said oil of oregano might work as well. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, water source, yeah. Um, my groundwater is uh, pretty salty. Uh, and alkaline. So my groundwater, the pH is like 8 to 8.5. Uh, so it's full of, uh, full of salt and uh, alkaline. I cannot use uh, water well, uh, well water, sorry. Uh, so um, most of the uh, greenhouse growers around my area, they have a dugout and they use water from the dugout. And we collect uh, spring runoff which is the uh, water from the melt snow. And we have, I have a pretty big uh, dugout and every spring it will be fall. And in, uh, in winter, the uh, water level will drop like one meter or two, but because my dugout is pretty deep, so I always have a water supply year round. Yeah, it does freeze, unfortunately. For bigger uh, uh, greenhouse growers, you can trench. You trench and you put a pipe 
uh, eight feet below, and you you connect a, a maybe a pool or a small dugout inside the greenhouse uh, from the dugout outside. But for me, I just use um, an ice a ice auger and put a hole on top of the ice and pump it from there. Uh, in winter, I just need to pump like uh, three times uh, in the whole winter. So it's not too bad. But for my whole greenhouse, after I transplant them, it's pretty hard to heat the so much water. But for my seedlings, I, I do use a, a water heater. Yeah. And so after I transplant all the uh, seedlings, what I do is I only water it in the morning of a sunny day. So it's uh, warm enough. And after the drip tape, uh, drip irrigation, the uh, the sun the sunlight will heat the soil pretty quick. So uh, the roots of the plants won't stay cool. I think uh, in terms of the structure, I think this is a pretty um, ecological. <laughs> it's natural because uh, the way I grow tomatoes, I don't give them artificial heating or lighting or CO2. So they just grow naturally. Uh, but if you like to spend more, I'd suggest uh, maybe solar panels. And yeah, that's one thing that can give you more light and uh, heat, in, especially in wintertime. And another thing you can do is um, vacuum uh, solar tubes. So they are made of glass and the two the two layers of glass and inside is a vacuum and they can collect a lot of heat too. Uh, I know one guy in, in China, he um, he just play with his ideas, right? So he installed so many, I think, I think maybe 50 uh, sets of uh, very big, very big sets of solar tubes inside the greenhouse. And uh, in winter time, he can grow dragon fruit very very sweet dragon fruit uh, even though they get minus 15 uh, in their location uh, but that uh, uh, solar tubes play a very good in very important role and it's cheap it's uh, free heat yeah. in assembling the greenhouse kit is it important to learn how to weld what type of welder is required and how much time does it need for a relatively able farmer to learn how to do this if they're going to do it on their own? Okay, I just give you uh, the my own example. I, I knew nothing about welding. I was a geologist before I became a farmer. Uh, so I was not handy at all. Uh, but uh, because I want to do this, so I went to a course it was just like four hour course, so one hour a day, four days. And then I practiced a little bit myself. And then I went to weld my <laughs> greenhouse. And it's just a very small, maybe like this big um, MIG welder. It's not really professional, but it's portable. So I can put it on, my, on the bu uh, bucket of my uh, tractor to lift it up and to move it easily. And for an um, amateur welder, it, a MIG welder is a pretty pretty easy uh, because it's a, the gun is very short 
you can get it really close and see uh, clearly what you are doing and uh, how well you are doing. Uh, I so I think it's not um, not very scary. Just be brave. Uh, that's that's good advice. And your greenhouse is still standing, so you the yeah, wealth you're holding yeah. and and exactly. you did something right. <laughs> so that's yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> my greenhouse, the outer structure is almost three years. It's still standing, and the biggest wind uh, here has been sixty kilometers per hour. Uh, I, we had it for a couple of times during the past uh, almost three years, and there was no damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think this is just such an amazing project that you've tackled, you know, and and that you did it all DIY yourself. Yeah. It's, it's just such an accomplishment. <laughs> it's really yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based organization empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, and webinars. We work with rural communities to help them develop their own community renewable energy projects. We produce a farmer's blog. And of course, there's this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Jen Ford and Trina Moyles in Peace Country, Marie Galanka in Athabasca, and Brenda Barrett in Alex. Kieran Mountain of Mountain Media edited this episode. The podcast is funded by a variety of foundations in Alberta and across Canada. Parts of this episode were recorded in Calgary, so that means parts of this episode were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in Métis Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the farm is usually good for the climate.